You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. We first hear God's Word in Isaiah chapter 40, the first 11 verses. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, In the desert prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged place is a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry out. And I said, What shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, Here is your God. See, the Sovereign Lord comes with power, and His arm rules for Him. See, His reward is with Him, and His recompense accompanies Him. He tends His flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in His arms and carries them close to His heart. He gently leads those that have young. Now we turn to fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies in Luke chapter 2 and read the verses 1 through 20. Our text this morning will be the verses 1 through 7, particularly verse 7. In those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom His favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, 
Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Love a congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. Perhaps you wondered this morning as you glanced over your liturgy sheet and looked up hymn three in the supplement, why this hymn was chosen. Isn't this an Easter hymn? Perhaps you wondered the same thing as we sang just now, hymn 20. Isn't this more an Easter hymn? Actually, this hymn doesn't just cover the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ and His death, but even His ascension into heaven. It's Christmas time. It's the Sunday after Christmas. Well, brothers and sisters, in a sense, there's nothing unusual about that. When we celebrate the birthdays of ordinary historical persons, we don't just celebrate their birth, we celebrate their lives. We celebrate their achievements. When we celebrate Jesus' birth too, there's, there's so much more to celebrate than His birth in a manger, in a stable, in Bethlehem. We celebrate His entire life and ministry. We, we remember His death and resurrection and yes, even His ascension into heaven and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And that is the scriptural way too. Consider, for example, what we read in Paul's letter to the Romans. Paul's letter to the Romans chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Well, beginning right at verse 1, Paul is servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Verse 3, regarding his son who as to his human nature was a descendant of David. There you have Jesus' birth. And who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Easter. Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is also the pattern that that was followed in the early Christian creeds, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, the Athanasian Creed, where when the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ is mentioned, then also His, His death and His resurrection, His ascension and the pouring out of His Holy Spirit are mentioned too. A certain theologian says it well. The gospel infancy narratives are the gospels in miniature, introducing the principal themes of their gospels, including the mission of Jesus and His passion and resurrection. And this is certainly the case in the gospel of Luke as well. Luke is a historian, a very special kind of historian, a historian who is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so Dr. Luke doesn't just want to report that Jesus was born, 
But he also reports in what manner he was born and why. Now, if it is true that the gospel stories of Jesus' birth are the gospels in miniature, then it is also true that we should keep the entire gospels in mind when we consider the stories about Jesus' birth. Children, suppose your parents tonight sit down with you before you go to bed and say, okay, we're going to read a story, a bedtime story. Suppose they would open the book and and read the first page to you and say, okay, that's it. Time to close the book, time to go to bed, that's it. You'd be saying, well, we want to hear the rest of the story. That first page has piqued your curiosity. You want to hear more. And you don't really understand what that first page is saying unless you know the rest of the story. You you need to know the whole story. Well, children, it's the same with the Gospel. Good news about the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, which Luke tells us at the beginning of His Gospel, makes us curious. It makes us want to know the rest of the story. And we can only understand the story about the birth of Jesus in the context of that bigger story of the the whole Gospel. The death, the, the ministry, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, brothers and sisters, isn't that the part of the problem with how Christmas is celebrated in our society and in our world? At Christmas time, everyone opens the book to the first page. And then the day after Christmas, the, the book is slapped shut. So they have a story without a context. They've only read the first page. But our world needs to hear the whole story. Our world needs to hear the whole Gospel. And that's why Christmas too is really a call for us as church to go out into all the world and preach the Gospel to all nations, to tell the world the rest of the story, to sit them down and say, okay, you read the first page, do you know what the rest of the story is about? It gets even better. Brothers and sisters, when we consider our text in this way, then we discover that Luke is really presenting us in this short narrative of Jesus' birth with a powerful and compelling preview not merely of Jesus' birth, but of His entire ministry and mission. And also with the manner and the reasons for His coming into the flesh. Luke wants to pique our curiosity. He wants us, he wants to lead us into the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ in all its majesty and power. Brothers and sisters, it's particularly the last sentence of our text that we will focus on this morning in verse 7 of Luke 2. We're told there that Mary had given birth and that after she had given birth, verse 7, she wrapped Him in cloths and placed Him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, if there's one thing that Luke, the historian of the Holy Spirit, wants to show us here, 
then it is undoubtedly the humble circumstances of Jesus' birth. Whenever we open the Scriptures, we should always recognize the most obvious meaning of a text. The Bible isn't something that only theologians and exegetes can crack open. Anyone who reads the Gospel story is immediately struck by this. The poverty, the humble circumstances in which our Savior was born. We descend very quickly here from the splendor of Rome. Remember we saw that last week. The splendor of Rome where Caesar Augustus was ruling. We descend from there to the to the back country town of Bethlehem. We descend from the spacious palaces of Augustus Caesar and, and the halls of, of the great Roman Senate to the crowded quarters of an animal stable in a cave. Indeed, it says our as the Scriptures teach us, as the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. That's the same thing we see in Philippians 2. We're also told in our text, that she wrapped him in swaddling cloths. And she placed him in a manger. She wrapped him in swaddling cloths, placed him in a manger. And these two details of Jesus' birth became a sign to the shepherds, as we read in verse 12. This will be a sign to you, the angel said to the shepherds. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Brothers and sisters, the signs that the angels were told to pay attention to, we should pay attention to as well. Why did the angel choose these two details of Jesus' birth as a sign? More to the point, why did God choose those two details? Because the angels were just messengers of God. Why did God choose those two details as a sign? Well, let's first consider the sign of the manger. The English word manger is from a French word. The French students and teachers will know that word. The word manger. Je mange, I eat. Manger is from that French word manger, to eat. So the manger was a feeding trough where shepherds would feed their sheep. So the shepherds would have seen the manger as their flock's feed box. The sign that the angel gave them, they would immediately be able to recognize. Oh yes, uh, we know where to look for those mangers. We know where to look for those feed boxes for the sheep. We take them there all the time. And then after the angels left them, we're told by Luke, the shepherds left their sheep, and what do they find? They find, just as they had been told, the baby Jesus 
in a flock's feed box, in a manger. Now, brothers and sisters, in the in light of the Old Testament imagery of shepherds and sheep, this can't be a mere coincidence. The angel appeared to shepherds. Why? Why not hunters, as the Huron Carol suggests? Shepherds. Well, you, you know the Old Testament imagery of shepherds and sheep. God is the great shepherd and His people are the sheep. Even the leaders of God's people are called the shepherds, either true shepherds or false shepherds. You see, what we have here in Luke 2 is not some random sign. God chooses His sign carefully and intentionally, not randomly. It's not as if, well, He could have chosen any other sign. No, God chose this sign intentionally. Now why is Jesus in a manger then? Why is He in a flock's feeding box? Well, the reason is that He is the one who will feed His flock like a shepherd. As we read in Isaiah 40, He will provide them with nourishment. Do you remember what Mary had said in her song in Luke 1, verse 53? He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has filled the hungry with good things. And what does, what does Jesus feed His sheep? Well, He feeds them Himself. He is their nourishment. He Himself is food for the hungry. Perhaps initially this sounds strange, but this is what the Scriptures tell us, brothers and sisters. Indeed, Jesus' presence in the manger was not only assigned to the shepherds and to Joseph and Mary. Perhaps the full significance of the sign wasn't grasped by the shepherds, but the message is inescapable for us, and that is that from His first moments on earth, Jesus is identified as food for the hungry, as food for the sheep of His pasture, as food for the starving and dying world. As He lies in the manger as a little infant, brothers and sisters, children, Jesus is already silently proclaiming what He will later declare in John 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to Me will never go hungry. And he who believes in Me will never be thirsty. Already, As He is lying silently in the manger, our Lord Jesus is saying in the words of that same chapter, John 6, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And then Jesus explains that in in John 6. He says, this bread is My flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. 
See, brothers and sisters, that's what we remember when we eat the Lord's Supper, as you will do in a couple of weeks again. You will remember how Jesus came down from heaven in the form of a human baby as the bread of life. You will remember how Jesus came down from heaven to give His flesh so that we might live. Already in the manger, Jesus is saying to us, this is My body which is for you. Already in the manger, Jesus is pointing to the cross where He will offer His body for the sins of His people. Already in the manger, Jesus is inviting us to take, eat, remember and believe that I gave My body and shed My blood for you. This is the Gospel, brothers and sisters. The Gospel of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ is the Gospel of salvation. And it's the Gospel that we eat and drink at the Lord's Supper. Here lies also the significance of the angels announcing Jesus' birth to shepherds. Why shepherds? Why not hunters as the Huron Carol suggests? Shepherds. Well, think about this. What would happen to the sheep for whom the shepherds were caring? What would happen to the sheep who were left by the shepherds when they went to see Jesus? Well, these shepherds were taking care of their sheep near Bethlehem in Judea. Bethlehem, by the way, means house of bread. That surely too is significant. Bethlehem, house of bread. What would these sheep be used for? What would these sheep be used for? Well, this was in Judea, where God's people, the Jews, lived. These sheep would be used as sacrifices at the temple. How appropriate that such shepherds were responsible for caring for the sheep that would eventually be sacrificed are the first to hear about and to see the Lamb of God who will be sacrificed to take away the sin of the world. See, brothers and sisters, already in the manger, Jesus is saying in the words of Hebrews 10, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for Me. The body in the manger. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. That's what Jesus is saying as He lies in the manger. He's saying, here I am. O Lord, it is written about Me in the scroll, I have come to do Your will, O God. No other sacrifice, no other lamb would do. And so Jesus Himself is a sacrifice. Jesus gives Himself. Here I am, He says to the shepherds whose sheep won't need to be sacrificed anymore. Very soon. In fact, 
the moment Jesus is born, His message to us is that He's already prepared to die for us. Born to die. And this leads us to consider the second detail on the sign, the swaddling cloths. She wrapped Him in swaddling cloths and placed Him in a manger. Again, being wrapped in cloths and put in a manger turns out to be a glorious sign not only for the shepherds, but also for us, brothers and sisters. This is a detail in the story, children, that you should take note of. Remember, kids, Jesus, when He's born, is wrapped in swaddling cloths. He's wrapped up in cloths and then placed in a manger. Hold that thought. Do you remember what Luke reports to us at the end of the Gospel? As we turn the pages of the story and come to the end of the story at the end of the Gospels, what are we told at the end of the story? Children, you probably remember, Jesus is wrapped in cloths and placed in the tomb. That's what Luke tells us in Luke 23, verse 53. The similarities are striking here. Then he, that is Joseph, took Jesus' body down from the cross, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock. This makes us, that's, this also makes the third detail in our text significant and important. We're told in our text, she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in the manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Stables where Jesus was born, the stable in which Jesus was born was a cave. That's where the stables were kept. That's where the sheep would, where the shepherds would take their sheep to feed them. Well, brothers and sisters, it was this body which lay wrapped up in the manger as a little baby which would also be wrapped up in cloths in the tomb. It was this body which would arise again from the dead and become the food and drink of life eternal. Here already in the manger, Jesus is showing that He has come to lay down His life for the sheep. John 10. He has come to lay down His life for the sheep. Notice something else, brothers and sisters. Both times, Jesus is wrapped in a cloth and laid in the cave, in the manger, and in the tomb. Both times, who is present? Mary. Mary is present both times. Remember what we just read in Luke 2 verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And surely, brothers and sisters, 
And I'm sure that the mothers in the congregation would totally be able to identify with this, how that must have struck Mary. How it must have struck Mary as she saw her son, the Lord Jesus Christ, after He was taken down from the cross. How she watched how her son was wrapped in cloths and placed in a tomb. Mary being a mother first of all, and then also being a a woman who treasured up all these things in her heart, who thought deeply about these things, surely she would not have missed this. The sign would have spoken powerfully to her. This is related to another significant and striking detail. Because there was no room for them in the inn. Luke tells us. What's the significance of that? Well, Jesus has come to earth, Luke is telling us, not to take room, but to make room. As Luke will tell us later in Luke 9 verse 58, there he will tell us, Luke 9, Verse 58, Jesus said to the man who wanted to follow Him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay His head. Jesus came into the earth to serve and not to be served. He came to not to take a room, but to make room. Significant that the only other place that the word for in is used in the entire New Testament is in Luke 22 verse 11. Luke 22 verse 11. Again, towards the end of the Gospel. There Jesus gives instructions to the disciples about preparing a place for the Passover. Starting at Luke 22, verse 10, He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room? Same word. Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? So the inn In Luke 2, verse 7, is a guest room. Same word in the Greek language. Exactly the same word. Could also be translated that way in Luke 2. There was no guest room for Jesus in Bethlehem. The upper rooms of houses usually served as guest rooms. But because, remember, there was a census taking place in Bethlehem, and because of the census, all the upper rooms, all the guest rooms in Bethlehem would have been overcrowded. And they certainly would have been too overcrowded as a place to give birth to a baby. You need some room for that. And so, that's why Joseph and Mary went to the cave, to the stable. 
In Luke 22 verse 11, however, Jesus does acquire a guest room. But then notice, brothers and sisters, that as He does so, as He acquires this guest room, He does so not to take a room, He does so to make room. He does so to make room for His disciples. He he takes that guest room at that place and at that time so that He can be a host for His disciples, so that He can have the disciples there for the Passover meal. Jesus is not guest, but He is host. If He's going to make use of a guest room, He's not going to do so as guest. He's going to do so as host. What else does He do in that room? Well, He he feeds them the Passover. And He feeds them the Lord's Supper. In other words, He feeds them with His own body in that guest room. You see, brothers and sisters, even when He finally gets a room in the inn, so to speak, He uses it not to be served, but to serve. He uses it to serve His own body and blood the food and drink of His sheep. Indeed, brothers and sisters, the child in the manger is the heavenly food. The manna which came down from heaven. He is the one who came down from heaven to give His life for His flock, for His sheep also you, little children, and for the world. Jesus came, presented His life in the manger as food for all of you, brothers and sisters, for you, teenagers, young people, for you, elderly, for each one of us. And His promise in the Gospel is that everyone who feeds on Him will never die, but will live forever. See, brothers and sisters, at Christmas, we remember not only that, Jesus came down from heaven in in human flesh. We don't just open the book to the first page. We want to know more. We also remember why He did so. So that we too might be born again with Christ. So that we too might be wrapped up and buried with Christ. So that we too might die to ourselves and live to God. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.